Welcome to The Forbes Factor, featuring celebrity TV host, million-dollar entrepreneur, and renowned health and fitness superstar, Forbes Riley, a familiar face from TV, as well as one of today's most sought-after female motivational speakers today. You'll connect with some of the top experts in health and fitness, business, and personal development, as well as some surprise celebrities, all sharing their insight, tips, and tricks to finding true happiness. Now, here's your host, Forbes Riley. Well, hello, hello, everybody, and happy Wednesday. How are you guys doing? I can feel that summer is finally here. I'll tell you what, my bones are thawing after spending a long, long winter, and I'm, I've definitely got my mindset on relaxing. Now, as I said that, many of you followed me through our Forbes Factor Week. I just did eight consecutive 10-hour days of mindset training, of getting people out of their limiting beliefs, of pushing their boundaries, and understanding how to create your future by cleaning out the closet of your past. So if anybody wants to join us, uh, we have a class coming up in September. You know, always, as always, just email us here and find out more about that. So to this end of getting your mindset, at least to, you know, get rid of the, the closet of, of craziness from your parents to your stories to whatever keeps you tied to your past that doesn't allow you to spring forward into your future, we're talking about living life unapologetically. And I'd love your feedback on what you think about that word. Uh, unapologetically. I mean, I know you guys have followed me. We talk about needing permission. Well, I've got two amazing guests today. We're going to push this forward to the next level. So here on Forbes Factor, we talk about health, wealth, and happiness and how having too much of either one isn't really the ultimate goal. You can be like Steve Jobs, have all the money in the world and die, unfortunately, at 56. Or you can be like many of you know, my fitness people in my world who are gorgeous, muscles everywhere, awesome look great in the bikini and can't afford their one bedroom apartment. So I, I kind of like the balance. My first guest has cornered the concept of what it means to truly harness that competitive edge. Now, you know, it's funny because when I was growing up, there was definitely first place, second place, third place. You definitely won things. And then for a period of time, schools and competitive events said, you know what, let's just give everybody a trophy because everybody played and everybody should be rewarded. Well, that's not human nature. It's certainly not what we consider being an American. I got to tell you, we fight for the very best. And how do you get and understand what it means to have a competitive mindset? So my guess, number one, he's a doctor. And I think that's important. He's a licensed clinical psychologist. He holds a PhD in clinical psychology from the Louisiana State University. But he focuses on behavior medicine. And I, this is very exciting to me because it's not always what you think, but what you do that truly exhibits who you are. I would like you to meet a very special man who has his new book, The Mindside Manifesto, The Urgency to Create a Competitive Mindset, as well as his game plan workbook. He helps athletes, coaches, and leaders be their very best. If you're within sound of my voice and you want to up your game, you need to listen. Dr. Brett McKay, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And I think you just absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, nailed the opportunity for your listeners and more importantly, highlighted where we can all get better right now. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. I, you know, I truly understand it. You know, there's, there's always this, comp, this, this idea of do you compete just with yourself? Are you competing with other people? When is it healthy? When is it not healthy? So I just would love to start with what does it mean to create a competitive edge in your world? Well, I think, you know, we got to first of all understand that life is a competition and whether we want to say it or not or you know, it's the ugly stance of, you know, going through humanity. The truth of the matter is we are all here because somebody in our past competed to live, to thrive, and to grow. 
I mean, that's ultimately what it is, right? And so in everything that we do, we are competing against either the norm, our standard, or the organizational or society standards. And there is a ranking system in this society. People who succeed move up the rankings, and they get better opportunities, and so on. And competitive mindsets, unfortunately, is something, in my opinion, that we're somewhat losing in today's society. And we're losing it because we've done a couple things. One is we've come out with this idea that failure is okay. Now, obviously, failure is okay. But we don't want to romanticize failure. Yes, we learn a ton in failure. But we don't build statues for continuous failures. We build statues for people who succeed, who figured out their own personal puzzle of success and found their own solution. And then second, in today's society, we train everybody to be somewhat the norm. We don't actually train people to embrace their variance of who they are, their uniqueness, their own superpowers to find out their competitive edge. And a competitive mindset is like a a knife. You have to sharpen it. Because if not, you'll just assume, well, it's good enough. I mean, I'm happy. I'm status quo. And I don't really want to get better because it's good enough. And I'm afraid to take that risk. Because if I take that risk and I go all in and I fail, what does that say about me? Well, it says you went for it. But most people see that as a failure. And that's the failure that we've kind of said is okay. Like, it's all right to fail. No, go for it, learn, go again. Go for it, learn, go again, and so on. Well, you know, it's actually very funny because if you think about the very genesis of who you're looking at, the reason that we, you and I are here is because 10,000 sperm had a race and only one of them, the most competitive one, found the egg and bam, you and I are here, correct? That's right, 100%. So life is definitely a race. But, you know, it's funny because I think I was born with a competitive nature. Now, I look at myself and my sister, and I remember years ago thinking, I don't care whatever it is I achieve, it's never going to be enough. I don't know why I keep having this race in my head. And I've honed that because more is not better, but excellence is worth achieving. And I looked at her and said, you know, she loves her family. She loves her life. And I thought, that's interesting. There's like the, the competitive ones and the ones who just enjoy life. And I have to tell you, if you're super competitive, you know, do you ever win? And what is it that you're winning? You know, that's, that's a great question because there are people who say, I'm happy with what I have. I'm content. But deep down, contentment in the human brain does not maintain anything because we have to continue to strive for others. Now, I look at my wife. My wife runs my business. She's very competitive in the business. But when she was in undergrad and she was trying to make a decision between going to medical school or nursing school, she chose nursing school, not because of the competitiveness of med school. She would have gotten in and done great. But she wanted to walk away from, the, from her career at some point and raise a family. Mm-hmm. But she was still competitive in everything that she did. But I was raised as an only child, so you can probably blame my upbringing on this. But my parents and everything that they did always competed. My dad was military. You fought to be the best. My mom would go get a job at a local mall behind the cosmetic counter, and her goal was to win every month. And I just learned that sometimes you know, that competitive mindset is so important. And what we see of successful people that we so much want to become is that competitiveness. And we see it and they overcome it. But truly competitive people work through challenges. It's not easy. Success is hard. It's dirty. It's miserable. But it's overcome. Well, you know, so it's interesting. I kind of want to put this in perspective. I actually don't think it is for everybody, and I think that's okay. But I think for those of us who set out and say, okay, I've got a goal. I want to create something. I want to be a leader. I want to be an athlete. I want to be even a television star. In that world, in business, you know, when you're a salesperson, some healthy competition. So let's get into 
somebody comes to you because they do want to be the best in their world. They are an athlete who's competitive. They're a, you know, whatever field they happen to be in. What's the first couple of things that you work with them on? So the first thing is I've got to know who they are. We all have a fingerprint and we all have a psychological fingerprint. And that fingerprint is created by our past. Even though we don't want to allow our past to continue to negatively influence our future, it also creates the seasoning. And I try to use the example being from South Louisiana. It's like cooking in a cast iron pot. Everything you've ever done in the past creates the flavor of who you are today. We've got to let go of the pains of the past and use them for the opportunities of the future. So I want to know what their background is and what their belief systems are. And the reason for that is somebody comes to me and says, Doc, you know, if I just work hard, I'm going to succeed. They're going to be upset very quickly because they're going to work hard and not have early success and see somebody else who doesn't work hard succeed. And that violates that rule. So I want to get to know what their belief systems are. And then I want to know what they want. And this is the important thing. Very few people in today's world, in my opinion, and I work with a bunch of them and highly successful people, and even at the top level, it's very hard for them to say what they truly want. When I say, what do you want? People hem and haw, and they struggle for a little bit. They almost apologize for saying what they want. Well, if they have a hard time saying that to me in a confidential setting, what does that tell you about how hard it is for them to actually admit it to themselves? Because if they can't say it to themselves, how are they ever, when it gets hard, going to stick with the process to succeed? They'll abandon it. So I get players, I get people, corporate, everything. And I'm getting ready to give a talk to a mortgage organization, a large conference, and I'm, I'm going to ask this question. How many of you want to be on stage this time next year winning this ribbon? Do you, are you willing to do what it takes? Because if it's truly what you want, you'll do it. Because success takes sacrifice. And that's the big thing. People are afraid to admit what they want. And that's why I wrote the book, The Mindside Manifesto, because... Your wants have to rise up to the level of a manifesto that you're willing to stand behind, you're willing to share with others, and you're willing to allow it to become your marching orders. Because if it's not, then why are we doing this? You know, it's funny. I, when we get to, to I want, that's a very personal thing for me. Many years ago, I was incredibly embarrassed when I was set up at the head of a, a television agency and asked me that question. I was young, and, and at some point when I couldn't really say what I wanted, even though I basically knew you know, anything from meeting a director to shadowing an actor... He pushed a dime across the desk and says how long ago that was. And he said, call me when, don't call me when you figure it out. And I was devastated. And so I talk about what do you want? And, you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> on every level, people seem to be having this issue. And I use the analogy of Grubhub. To call Grubhub and say, hey, you know what? I'm hungry. Can you give me some food? They're like, that's fine, ma'am. What do you want? And you're like, I don't know. Do I want French, Chinese, maybe a salad. I'm sorry, ma'am, I got to go. What do you want? All right, maybe a salad with like arugula or romaine. Um, I don't know. And what happens is 10 minutes later, you're still on the phone and you're still hungry and they don't show up. Or if you call them and say, hey, what do you want? It's like, you know, I'd like a Caesar salad, no croutons, dressing on the side uh, and some grilled chicken. You know what shows up 10 minutes later? Caesar salad, no croutons, dressing on the side. You get what you want. And truly in life, yep. that is what I've also been coaching and truly and actually understand. And if you're listening to this, guys, here, this is probably the most important thing you can do. It's free. It's easy. Get a piece of paper and a pen for those of you under 20. Take out your cell phones. I don't care. No, I like the pen and paper thing. And literally make a list of what you want. And by the time you get to the end of it, all 30, maybe you've actually decided what that is. But most people want things that are so generic or so crazy. And I've been drilling down. When you get to the really performance level, what are some of the key things that, like if an athlete is, is talking to you? What do you go for? It's not that they just want to win or they want a million dollars. What's the, the key thing that you find somebody wants to truly achieve success? Well, here, here's the cool thing. And I got chills when you were talking about the piece of paper with want. 
I call it red wine therapy. And if you're of illegal age and you drink, pour yourself a glass of red wine, take an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and just write at the top, I want, and on the other side, what prevents me? And let it rip. Don't filter it, let it go, because the answer's in there every time. And so I use that with my professional athletes, top players in the world. And we'll sit down, and it's amazing. They'll say, you know, I've never really thought about it. And we assume that they all want to be number one in the world, but they don't. They don't. I had a player who came to me and who said, look, all I want is to be able to pay off my house, my mom and dad's house, and my in-law's house. And then after that, we're gonna, I want to win, I want to compete, but I want to be able to build up a nest egg so that I can be home with my kids as they get older. Now, that's a very clear descriptive. So he's going to use his sport, which he enjoys playing, but he enjoys competing to fulfill something. To be number one in the world is great, but like he said, what does that bring me? I've got others that want to solve the puzzle. So, you know, people who, entrepreneurs are often this. They have an itch, they want to scratch it, they want to find a solution, and then what? They find another one. Never met many entrepreneurs who stop. They find another challenge. They find another itch they want to scratch. So when they sit down, that's the interesting thing. For me, I'll tell you a story. So when I started, I I actually finished my training, went to Brown Medical School to finish up my training up there. And I think they brought me up there because they needed a South Louisiana person up in the Northeast. And when I got done, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to become a psychologist that works with the best of the best. But I wasn't ready. I went and did some other work. And I worked for eight years in the pharmaceutical industry doing corporate work and education. But I remember going to the Masters, the, you know, the mecca of golf. And I played college baseball, so I didn't come from the golf world. And I said, I won't come back until I have a player. And now the last couple of years, I've had five and six players playing it, and I still haven't been back. But the fact in my mind is my players are playing it. I'm getting them ready to play. And I said I wasn't going to be, you know, that's what I wanted. When I went to the 10X conference, saw you speak and others, I sat up in the rafters and told my wife, I'm not coming back again until I'm on that stage because I have something to share. And I won't be back until I sh- and stand on a stage like that and share it. I didn't know that I you were at so 10X. In the message. Wait a second. You were at 10X. You were in the, you were in the auditorium there. Yes. We had 9,000 people that day. That was pretty crazy. And, yes. I, and I do remember a sense of, I got to walk on stage in front of 9,000 people. Have you done that? Have you walked in front of that many people? Yes. And, you know, it's funny. Awesome. So, so one of the things, I actually talk about this with a lot of my clients. I say, if you really want to see who's going to win a race, like they'll do, um, like in the Olympics, they'll do a track race. So here, play a little game with yourself. I've been doing this for years. They'll pan across the faces of all the competitors right before they leave the blocks to run. And I, nine out of ten times, you can choose and say who's going to win because in their mind, you can see it in their face. They've already won. And I find that that be an amazing technique. So what do you? what's one key right before – you go onto a stage or you go on to a presentation or you're out there on the field. What do you think in all your expertise is the one or two things you should do with your mind at that moment? Trust what you've done. At that point, it's not time to evaluate anything. It's give them a show. And I'll, I tell that to myself every time. I'm here. Give them a show. Give them everything I've got. And it started when the very first time I ever went out on the PGA Tour with a professional client, I got called by a guy who's a U.S. Open champion. So he's big time. And I remember walking down the fairway and texting my wife because he was playing with a friend of his who had also won a U.S. Open. And I texted my wife and said, what in the heck am I supposed to do here? Like, I was so out of my element. And she said, I love you. Give them everything you got. If it's not good enough, they'll find someone else. And we've been together for seven years as client and and doctor relationship. And that's what I do. I'm not going to please everybody that sits in that audience. But I want people, before they go in to do something, it's time to trust it. 
and allow yourself to be great. Because the greatness that lies within each of us is just begging for an opportunity to come out. And when we get out of our own way and we just allow ourselves to flow with it, we're always great. When we question, am I right? Am I doing this? Those are natural doubts that pop in our head just to get us ready. And here's a great analogy for people to understand. If I put you right next to a door and I said, Forbes, I want you to stand right here. I don't, I'm not going to tell you who's coming through that door. You, it's either going to be somebody who's going to be threatening to you or somebody who's going to take you on a vacation. You're going to get anxious because you're not going to know. But your body and your mind is going to get ready for whatever it is. And it's the same feeling of anxiety and adrenaline. It's the same feeling in the body. The only difference is mentally you say, I can handle it. So if you've trusted your preparation before you go into competition or a presentation or a talk, you stand there and you say, you know what? Let's go for it. What's the worst that's going to happen? In fact, what we usually do is we protect ourselves and we manifest our fears and we mess up. And we go, oh, I wish I would have, I wish I would have gone for it. I'd rather you walk off the stage or out of a competition with disappointment than regret. I'll pick you up if you're disappointed. Regret ooh, is ooh, your own ooh. I love it. Are we at a minute and a half to, uh, to my first break where we get to thank my very competitive uh, sponsors? No, they're not competitive. We only, have so much com- we only have so much space on my radio show, and we do have people fighting to get in there, and I love that. So we're going to honor those guys in a minute. When we come back, uh, Dr. Brett and I are going to share. You know, he talked about preparation. And I, I want to hear his philosophy on how you train hard enough so that when you get to that final moment, you can just let go and trust. And then we're also going to share with him, with you guys, about what his game plan workbook actually looked like. All right. If you want to succeed in your life, in your business, in all that you've ever dreamed about, you're not going to want to miss my next segment with Dr. Brett McCabe. Don't go away. You're listening to The Forbes Factor with Forbes Riley. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. If you hate going to the gym but want to shed that extra weight, finally get a flat stomach and tight toned arms, we have the most unique solution. And get this, it's fun and takes less than five minutes, two times a day. Developed by Fitness Hall of Fame inductee and TV health expert Forbes Riley. The Spin Gym is the most compact, low-impact, resistance exercise ever developed. This simple handheld device provides the most unique fat-burning, metabolic-boosting workout suitable for all fitness levels. You've seen it on TV and in print with more than 2 million sold. What are you waiting for? Get your Forbes Riley Spin Gym at buyspingym.com. Order now and discover how easy and fun it can be to get in the very best shape of your life in just five minutes. Guaranteed. There's never been another product like the Forbes Riley Spin Gym. So try it risk-free for 30 days. Visit buyspingym.com today. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com 
Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are listening to The Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. I am having an amazing conversation with Dr. McCabe talking about competition, competitive edge, success in life. And he's recently authored a book called The Mindside Manifesto, The Urgency to Create a Competitive Mindset. Actually, on the break, I asked him how he came up with the word mindside because I'd never heard of that. So, Brett, what is your answer to that? You know, I was laying in bed in the middle of the night, and I was thinking about what to name the business. I didn't want to name it after me because I wanted to have other practitioners in my office that could do better work than me. And so I just, it popped in my head. I was thinking about the movie The Blind Side, which was a movie about a college football player, and it just hit the mind side. And it was like, well, everything we do starts in the mind. It is the mind side, the mental side of the game and performance. Oh, I like that. And it just kind of worked. And we went from there. Nice. Actually, I love The Blind Side. Uh, very dear friends with, Ms. Do- uh, with Joe Theismann, and uh, <laughs> not, not, not a good opening in the movie for him. No, so, no. <laughs> so we're talking about, you know, you, uh, you truly focus on being the very best. Let's talk about preparation. How, when you're, you know, it's funny because when you're in the gym or you're getting ready, you fail so often. How do you keep that sharp and keep the idea that you're always competing? What's the philosophy that you use to get people to their best? Well, and, and, you know, the truth of the matter is most people don't come to see me when they're one block away from succeeding. They usually come to me when they're in trouble, they're struggling, and I always look at their preparation. Most people, this is important, most people prepare, train, whatever, to fix problems. They don't train to be a master of something. And what happens is when they have a little bit of success, it's what I call the learning curve, when they have a little bit of success early on, they figure out the solution in their preparation they get this honeymoon feel, like, oh, I love it. It's so good. I've got this success. And then they crash. And they crash because they overcomplicate it. They apply it to a new scenario. They train, and they freak out because failure comes on to them. The struggle comes on to them. And it's not what they believed it would be because their initial goal was to get rid of the pain. Their goal was to get rid of the struggle versus saying, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to have a little success before I start struggling bad. But in that struggle, I'm going to find mastery. Because I'm going to get really frustrated, really confused. And if you think of any time in your life when you've learned something important, frustration and confusion were very, very important growth drivers. Because through that frustration and confusion, you find the solution. Unfortunately, most people quit. And they start over. And they look for another quick fix. So when I'm working in preparation, I'm looking at what they do to train. Do they train under confidence? Do they train to enhance mastery? But do they also incorporate what I call failure drills? Drills that put failure on the table. Failure, you know, they may not succeed at, but they're going to come back wanting for more. Or under the face of failure, do they walk away thinking that they have failed? I want somebody who struggles to say, when are we doing that again? So if I'm in the gym with you and we're working on a new movement and you're building a movement for a movement down the road and I'm struggling with it, 
I leave frustrated. How many people are going to say, I don't ever want to do that again. You made me feel like I couldn't succeed or they don't come back. I want people to say, hey, I'm really struggling with this and I want to figure it out. I want to solve it. And if they can't solve it, then I got to know why. So preparation gives me those answers. I can watch them train. I can watch them the way they interact in their training and more importantly, what they can learn about themselves. So preparation is key to everything so that when they get in the heat of the moment, they know what to trust. Question for you. I know this may sound kind of weird, being that I am one and you are one. Is there a difference in competitive edge between men and women? You know, I think today's society that's blending a lot more. I think men and women, I learned something early on when I started working with athletes, is that women typically, this is an overgeneralization, but it's been proven out a couple times for me. Women typically don't like to be called out in front of their peers and highlighted for successes. They'd rather lift up the entire organization. Men, on the other hand, don't want to be called out in front of their peers when they've done something wrong. They'd rather be highlighted when they do something right. So I think from a competitive standpoint, and I've got daughters that are 21 and 17, I teach them all the time, look, you can achieve anything you want. It's never going to be easy. Not everybody has the same deck to play with. But how bad do you want it? And in today's world, you can have whatever you want, but you just got to be willing to get after it. And so I think some of the, the reasons and the barriers that have prevented past generations from succeeding are removing, but there's always barriers. And so I think the competitive drive, men tend to be more hunter-gatherers, women tend to be more nurturers. That's a revolutionary thing, evolutionary thing. But men also have a, a, hunter, or have a, you know, have a nurturing side. So I think those gender roles are probably blurring more and more now. Well, you know, and I think it's important, by the way, I, because if you're going to compete in strength, and this is an interesting thing, I think, for men and women to come to, is that we are not the same. And it is perfectly no. okay not to be the same. Uh, when I, I remember watching women, my brother-in-law is a fireman, a couple of brother-in-laws are um, policemen, and when women were allowed in as firemen, you know, it's interesting because you have to be able to carry a certain amount of weight. You have to be careful to do certain things that I think men are designed to do. So I don't, you know, even in races, you'll see that men are physically built a different way than women, especially that very elite competitive edge. You watch marathon runners, the men outrun the women. It's not better or worse. It's just kind of like you said, it's an evolutionary type thing. Not that we can't come close, but it is interesting when we try to compete against our sectors and like you said, try to say we're equal. We're not. And that's fascinating to me that we would try to be. Um, But even, even across genders and within the genders, we're not equal. You know, that's the thing I want people to understand is that when we sit, I like people to think about competition, like sitting at the poker table, not everybody's going to be dealt the same hand, but everybody's got to play the hand they're dealt. Oh, I love that. I love that. Wait, wait, that's my new favorite phrase. Not everyone's going to win the hand they're, that is great, but you got to play the hand you're dealt. That's awesome. And And here's the important thing too, is that, you know, I think people, it's so easy to blame circumstance and to say, this is what, and all that really is, is saying, hey, look, you've got something that you are struggling against in your life, and you'd rather put your power towards the circumstance versus finding a solution. But here's the big issue that I think has changed in our generations, is it used to be for generations, um, our dads, our moms, the greatest generation and stuff, they built their present to give their kids a better future. And unfortunately, our generation today, it's all about getting mine, and the future generation will figure it out on their own. And I think that's where we're lost. I would rather have a certain level of success but give my kids a better future and make them work for it, but at least know that they're going to extend the success that we have. So playing at that hand at that poker table, I think too many people are playing the current hand. They're not playing the current hand for what it means for the next hand and so on. And I think that's what we have to think about. You know, I love talking to you. You've got a very analytical mind. 
uh, you totally get what you're, you know, in terms of what you're talking about and what's and how to create this. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to go on to my, my next guest to continue this conversation about excellence and leadership and competitive edge. Um, if I were to, you know, I, I think the thing for me that I find frustrating, and maybe it's the way I'm wired, and obviously part of all that we are all teaching out there as coaches is how to kind of rewire some of the things that we've learned. The thing I personally struggle with, even though I can teach it, is getting into my own head, is how do you actually deal with failure? I don't know, maybe it's just human nature, but I can win a hundred things. The one that I failed at is seems to be the only thing I focus on. What do you tell your clients when they're like me? Well, that's that's evolutionary because if you ate bad, you know, a bad plant, you'll never forget it, right? I mean, and and instead you're going to get hungry if you didn't eat a bad plant. So failure is like the bad plant. It's there. It's reminding you to not repeat it, to learn from it. So failure, I want you to be upset if you fail. I want you to be emotionally gutted because that means you put everything into it. But then I want you to learn from it. What is the lesson? Don't ever waste a failure. Learn from it and then apply it to the future challenges. And if you do that, then that becomes wisdom. And wisdom is what we're all looking for. From your perspective, how important is it to have a coach? I think, I think we all have mentors and coaches in our lives. So I think find people in your life that challenge you, that critique you, that are confidence builders, that are competitors, and that are colleagues. And those are five different people. And if you find those five different people, so a competitor, somebody you compete with on a daily basis, love it. Love it. They don't even know you're competing with them. A colleague, somebody who's like what you do in your field that you can bounce ideas off of. You know, um, a confidence builder, somebody who's like your mom who tells you how good you are. That's okay. A critiquer, somebody who's going to come after you and tell you it ain't good enough. Get better. And then a challenger, somebody who's just challenging you every day. If you have those five people, and some of them can be a coach, they can be a mentor, they can be a teammate, can be a parent. If you put those people in your life, you'll get better. Don't isolate. Open up. The world is an amazing educational playground. And it's your job to learn from it. Where do people find you, my friend? They can find me at themindside.com. So it's T-H-E-M-I-N-D-S-I-D-E.com. And cool thing is, July 1, it's not up yet, but we've got a whole new video series coming out on how to win every moment. And it's it's 36 videos about winning the moment. We are not. We are defined by our moments. I hate to say it. So the fact is, we better learn how to fight them, win them, beat them, learn from them, and grow from them. So let's let's learn to win every moment and dominate the end game. Well, I don't know if you're uh, <laughs> what it must be like to have you as a dad. You've got two daughters. Are they feeling the pressure to win every moment? <laughs> you know what? It's funny. We're sitting, my my youngest daughter plays golf, and we had players in for the U.S. Open staying at the house, and one of them said, do you listen to your dad? She goes, no, of course not. And all of her <laughs> friends come and see me, but they don't listen. It's da- I'm dad. I'm goofy. I am who I am. But, you know, the fact is, is that they're very, very successful, and I couldn't be any more proud. And they do it great. They're unbelievably sensitive. They're unbelievably connected to human beings, and that's what I love. So our role is to stay connected to you, my friend, because, Brett, you are inspiring. You are enlightening, and I appreciate your honesty uh, and, and I love your mission. So from here, Thank everyone you. here at the Forbes Factory, we got a lot of emails right now saying how wonderful you are. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It was an honor. All right. I'll talk to you soon. I look forward to going or getting and reading your academy online, themindsetacademy.com, coming July 1st. Don't miss it. Thank you, my darling. Thank you. All right. So up next, and I, I love filling my show with amazing thinkers, people who are, you know, people that you really enjoy having at a dinner table because they just – inspire you. And my next guest is, is fascinating to me because he is a 
an Inc. 5000 entrepreneur. He's a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, not Forbes Riley, but the magazine. Okay. Uh, he's, an, he's an official LinkedIn advisor, so we have some questions on how to improve our, our world there. But he's truly a top influencer. He is a contributor to Forbes, and he's a strategist when it comes to leadership, strategic leadership. I mean, he's consulted, this is great, for companies, and he's created programs for companies like Bayer, Cargill, uh, many of the names that you know. And he's also had the first ever leadership development for the baking industry because this boy believes that you got a, you're in the dough. No, that was a terrible joke. Uh, please welcome Kyle Bros to the show. Kyle, are you out there? I am here. Yeah, did you did you like my joke? Come on, you know, <laughs> that, was, you get, that was good. You have to rise to the occasion here. Come on. Yeah, there you go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what? I can keep going because otherwise we get too serious on my show, and I am anything but serious. I'm about living life in the in the fullest, smiling a lot, and as Dr. Brett McCabe talked about. I don't know if I quite agree with being competitive every moment. Some days I just want to chill out and do nothing. So well, I'm, there, I'm there with you. Yeah, I know. But when you're not doing that, you're creating strategic thinkers. Let me ask you, tell us a little bit. About where, how did you come to what you do? Well, uh, like most things in life, it was a really long and windy road to get there. Uh, so it was just trial and error. You know, I, I got out early in my life, in my early 20s, and started my first company and made a lot of mistakes and uh, moved on to my second company and made even more mistakes. And through each of those, I started to see what it really meant to be strategic, what it really meant to embed intention into all of your activities. And then when I became a consultant with uh, large organizations about seven years ago, uh, I started to see that surface in other people when I watched people make really good decisions. And I also watched people make really bad decisions and started to, to see the consistencies between those people who are making really smart strategic decisions. And, and the question came into my mind as a lot of people is, how do I get better at that? How do I make more strategic decisions? And how do I help the leaders that I'm coaching make more strategic decisions? And so through personal experience and watching these other leaders and working with them, I started to formulate some, uh, some ideas and then test those ideas. And that's kind of how I arrived at the entire strategic thinking framework that I use and, and the whole concept of improving a leadership's, a leader's ability to think strategically. Wow. I, you know what? I love the fact that you work with such high level companies. You actually design programs in terms of leadership. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, so I think one of the things is, you know, leadership's not something that you can just regurgitate. So it's not something that you can just grab somebody else's method or model or approach and embed it as your own and think you're going to get the same exact results as they did. Because there are so many other factors. There's context that plays into it. There's your own organization. There's industry and trends and, and shifts in society. And so one of the things that I, I talk to all my clients about is not just grabbing onto what somebody else has done and trying to do it. You have to make it your own. And so when it comes to leadership programs, it's really about figuring out who the organization is, what they're trying to accomplish, the industry that they exist within, and what's happening in the broader world that we really need to be aware of, and then building a program and a leadership model that fits all of those components versus thinking or assuming that if I just grab some leadership model online, that it's actually going to get me the results I want. How do you define leadership? So leadership to me is about... First off, your own self-awareness and self-management. And that is really about long-term goals. So it's your ability to stay focused on long-term goals and priorities 
that's individual. And then when it comes to organizational as a leader who's actually leading other people, it's the same concept, but it's for a group of people. How do I get a group of people to stay focused on a common goal, to buy into that and to be mobilized toward that goal? So those elements in me are leadership. Somebody who's a good leader is able to get themselves or keep themselves focused on really long-term, meaningful goals and they're able to get a group of people focused on those long-term meaningful goals as well. Okay, but I want you to dig a little bit deeper. I don't know that a lot of people who have, who have that kind of focus have a leadership quality. What, what, what do you look for when you go out? How does a leader, and are leaders born or are they made? Well, I think, it's, I think that there are elements of leadership that are born, but you know, to my, my point earlier, there's no right way to lead. It's based on who you are, your own skill set, your own abilities. You have to figure out how to leverage those things and at times change things about yourself so that you can improve. But it really is this element of recognizing that you as an individual have some really big and important uniqueness and you can leverage that uniqueness to make yourself a good leader. So my point is that you're born with some things we don't all have to be born with the same things in order to be good leaders. What you need to do is really take time to become self-aware and learn how to manage and leverage those uniquenesses of yourself so that you can get the outcomes and the achievements that you're really hoping to get. So whether or not you're born with it or not, you're born with elements and you need to be able to recognize those elements and then figure out how to leverage them. Well, right now I'm going to lead us all into a commercial break so we can listen to some of my amazing sponsors. And we come back with Mr. Kyle Bros. We're going to ask some more in-depth questions to figure out how you can either lead in your organization or understand why things in your life may not be working because your leadership skills need to um, be sharpened. All right, you're listening to Forbes Riley right here on the Forbes Factor. We hope we focus on health, wealth, and happiness. And, of course, we're very happy with our sponsors. So take a listen. We'll be right back after this. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. If you hate going to the gym, but want to shed that extra weight, finally get a flat stomach and tight toned arms, we have the most unique solution. And get this, it's fun and takes less than five minutes, two times a day. Developed by Fitness Hall of Fame inductee and TV health expert, Forbes Riley. 
The Spin Gym is the most compact, low-impact, resistance exercise ever developed. This simple handheld device provides the most unique fat-burning, metabolic-boosting workout suitable for all fitness levels. You've seen it on TV and in print with more than 2 million sold. What are you waiting for? Get your Forbes Riley Spin Gym at buyspingym.com. Order now and discover how easy and fun it can be to get in the very best shape of your life in just five minutes. Guaranteed. There's never been another product like the Forbes Riley Spin Gym. So try it risk-free for 30 days. Visit buyspingym.com today. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. listening to the Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley. Yeah, so today's show is actually pretty heady. It is focusing on competitive leadership, getting the edge that you need. And my guest, Cal Brost, his deal is that he turns individuals and leaders into strategists and change makers. And truly, if you want to, you know, everyone says, yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur. No, you don't. There's no such thing as an entrepreneur. There just isn't. There's a CEO. There's a, I mean, that's what, it's fascinating. You can own a company. You can run a company. You can work for a company. But to me, entrepreneur is a state of mind. Somebody who takes a risk, who's open-minded, who wants to make change. And the truth is, to be successful with this new entrepreneurial mindset that you've got, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, surgeon, Indian chief, I mean, all kind of people we coach, you have to understand great strategy, understanding change making, and understand how to propel this forward in an organized manner. So, Kyle, when you hear the word entrepreneur, what does that do for you? Uh, actually, I'm reminded of a client that I had one time, and we were talking about entrepreneurs within organizations. So this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's what comes to mind is she was talking about how she wants entrepreneurs in the organization because they think differently. So they bring different ideas. They're not bounded by these kind of norms that organizations like to be bounded by. But she also said, every time I bring in an entrepreneur, I feel like I brought a bull into a China closet because (laughs) they're not bounded by all of these things. And sometimes I think you see people calling themselves entrepreneurs who aren't, aren't in an organization, but they're out there trying to do it themselves. And that's exactly what they are. There's this bull in a China closet. They're just kind of wreaking havoc, havoc and learning as they go, but there's no real intent behind it. And they're playing in spaces that if they took more time in preparation, they could be much more successful at. So glad that you said that. Hey, so speaking of being successful, you, my friend, at 28, you sold your second company. I've got people who are 58 who haven't figured out their first. What was, what was the company and how did you do this at such a young age? Well, I mean, the reality is some of it was luck. No, no, there's no luck. In, no, unless your dad handed you a company and you got to sell it, there's no luck involved. You'll be a little more specific. <laughs> okay. Well, so uh, I got out there and I hustled at first. So when I was 21, I started my first company, which was just a commercial carpet cleaning business. I had no idea what I was doing. I went and I bought a commercial cleaner and a van uh, with all the money that I had, and I just got out there and I started going. Um, and it sucked, and I failed miserably. I thought I could get a bunch of clients. I didn't. Uh, the work sucked. 
Um, but I stuck with it and I was persistent and it, it did all right. And I ended up selling that company. And, and so my second company was an international air freight company. So outside sales, um, I got into it through networking. Um, a colleague of mine had discovered the opportunity, but wasn't really ready to do it. He called me and said, Hey, I see this thing. You should consider it. And so I just dove in at first. Um, I leveraged resources from friends and family to get into my second business because it was larger scale. And, uh, and I went off running and the same thing happened. I failed in the first year. I did terribly. Uh, I didn't make any money. I was losing money. Um, but through enough persistence and just grinding it out, um, I was able to kind of pull through that and start making some money. But, you know, there was, there was a lot of lessons along the way. And I think the big one that really was a, a big shift was the difference. And we hear this all the time, but it was the difference between working harder and working smarter. I knew how to work hard. I grew up on a, you know, in the country in Wyoming and at a family farm and I knew how to work hard, but I'd never taken the time to really ask myself, are you doing the right activities? And so that was a big shift. And that's when my success really skyrocketed was taking the time to ask, am I actually doing the right activities versus just doing more of the wrong activities? Excellent. What is spark policy? Uh, so spark policy is a little bit of a divergence, but uh, spark policy is a research and evaluation firm. So we work with large international foundations and nonprofits, researching social and environmental issues, trying to find solutions to literally the world's biggest problems. Nice. All right. Talk to me for a second about LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is a tremendous resource. I've hit my max of 30,000, which I think is unfortunate that you'd have a max. Uh, I don't know why they do that. I'm sure there's some philosophy behind that. But I have a lot of business people I deal with who have no idea how to use this particular resource. Tell me about LinkedIn and your relationship to them. Well, so uh, a couple of years ago, LinkedIn reached out to me um, and invited me to become an advisor. So I sit on a panel um, and they send me questions and comments and things about the platform itself and ask for my advice and opinions on this panel that I sit on. So I get to hear about the new services and layouts and things that, that they're considering before they go live and give input on whether I think it'll, it'll play out well or whether I think it's going to solve the right kind of problems. I think LinkedIn is, you know, the key difference that most people are aware of is LinkedIn is, is a very professional platform. So it's intended and designed for people to connect around professionalism. And I think that what uh, a lot of people miss in that is that there's a certain level of expectation around sales when it comes to LinkedIn. On Facebook, you're not going to go, you know, connect with a bunch of your friends and ask them all to buy a product. But on LinkedIn, there's a certain level of expectation because it is a professional platform for businesses and professionals. There's a certain expectation there that that can happen. And so I think when people don't use LinkedIn for sales purposes, they, they miss out on a big opportunity. So, and I'm looking at your front page because this is really important. Some of the nitty gritty, you know, we get a little philosophical. People who listen to me are in a growth mode and they want to learn and absorb. What's the best way, or I guess it's funny, I'd love to talk to LinkedIn for a little bit. How do you, I look at your page? It's awesome. What do you suggest that people do, or how would you use this, given that you're a, a change maker, you're somebody who wants to move their career forward? How would you utilize that platform the best? Connect. I mean, connect, connect, connect. Look, uh, success often is a de dependent on the number and depth of your connections. And so the first thing that you've got to do is don't be bashful about reaching out to people that you don't know and that you've never met. Connect with them. And, and I don't mean just connect in terms of hitting the button that says connect. I mean, connect with them, shoot them an email, 
have a conversation with them, go grab coffee, make sure that you are connecting with people. And the more people you connect with, the more you'll find that you can actually deeply connect with, where you find those really solid partnerships and collaboration and clients. And so the first thing is don't just sit and wait. You know, I think historically people have had this perception that LinkedIn, you should only connect with people that you have already met and you know, and you should limit your network. I think that that's rubbish. I think that you should be connecting with as many people as you can and finding those really key relationships. But you can't do that if you're not actually extending outreach and trying to connect with the people you want to. What's one piece of advice that you love to give people who are in a growth mode? Well, the biggest piece of advice is to stop backing away from the challenges that you're facing. So when I see people in a growth mode, they have these big expectations up front. They get out there and they start running toward them and they find that it is too big. And what they do is what I call de-escalate. So they say, well, I can't do that really big thing. I've gotten started on it. It still feels overwhelming. So I'm going to choose a smaller way of getting it done. And then they try that smaller way and they still can't get it done. And they de-escalate again and they choose an even smaller way. And so the big thing that I tell people is stop de-escalating. If what you're doing isn't working, you don't need a weaker method. What you need is a more powerful method. You need to escalate your efforts if you really want to achieve it versus trying to pick something smaller and smaller and smaller. And before, you're new, before you know it, you're not making any progress. And so if you're in growth mode and you're trying to grow your business or your organization, stop choosing the small things to try to do. Take the biggest things that you can do. If you have to go out and you have to partner or you have to outsource or you have to collaborate, do whatever you have to do to get it done versus de-escalating and choosing smaller things to try to get done. You sound insanely positive. What do you drink in the morning to keep that going? Just <laughs> <laughs> I usually have. I probably do. I, get, I should get some revenue for this plug. Uh, but I, I chug an insane amount of caffeine. But positivity really is just about uh, the view of my view of the world. And I spend a lot of time talking with people about their view of the world because that's where people run into huge bur- hurdles and barriers that don't have to be there. Is when they have this uh, this huge view of the world and, and their place in it. So part of my work is I ask people, what, what is your first memory in life? And that's a little odd for you, but if you uh, wouldn't mind indulging me. Oh, gosh. My first memory in life. Um, my, my actual first memory in life was uh, very young, about two and a half or three. And uh, we were in Alaska. We lived in this little house in Alaska. And I was crawling up onto a treadmill to reach some stuffed animals. And my grandmother came in and grabbed me and, and scorned me for trying to, you know, get it onto the treadmill. And that's my very first memory in life. I don't know. It continues. Hang on a second. So what decision does a little boy make about life at that moment? Um, I think my, you know, this is hard to place in hindsight, but for me, I think what it did is, told me that I need to be more clever. This is my genius. Isn't that interesting? Didn't you earlier in this conversation yeah. say that you need you learn to work smarter, not harder? So the lesson that you see, other people would have said, well, you know, that you can reach for things, but you're always going to be pulled down. Your thought was, I need to be more clever. And look how that's played out in your entire life. It's very true. And actually, I've, I've, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about the stuff that you're doing is that idea of these stories and how they shape our behaviors. 
Well, it's fascinating to me, and what I've learned, and it's interesting when you find somebody frustrating asking this question, because it's not actually what happened. It's their decision about it, and I'll tell you something, it's not a real memory anyway. It's what actually you use as an operating system, is the decision that you made about that first moment. And I'm going to tell you, I'm on an amazing quest to do that. The fact that you're successful would have obviously led us to believe that you would have had a positive first decision. It's, it's crazy, and I'm loving this. And by the way, when we work together, sometimes people go, no, I have a totally different memory, and that's okay, too, to let go of some of the things that have been holding you back. But you, my friend, have got yeah. amazing energy. I invite everyone. His last name is spelled B-R-O-S-T, like best broast. Let's see. Let's see if we can roast him to be the best. I don't know. Some way in there. Um, Kyle, I notice a picture on your Facebook of a beautiful family. How do you find a time to balance both? Uh, tons of support. Uh, you know, my wife does an incredible job of helping make sure that that happens. And the other thing, and you'll hear me use this word a ton, is intention. So I don't, you know, I'm very intentional about the time that I spend with them. And so I, you know, I don't just kind of leave it to chance that I'm going to get the time and, and be able to perform the activities that I want to with them. I set it aside and, you know, often I actually put it on my calendar, even if it's only 10 minutes, I will put it on my calendar to make sure that I'm intentional about getting that time on a regular basis with them. Um, and it's not just for them. I mean, it's for me too, right? It's a, a great chance for me to rejuvenate and, and get away from, uh, you know, all of the buildup that can happen cognitively and emotionally through running companies and managing employees. And so it's a win-win. Well, I unfortunately, intentionally, I'm running out of time, and I, and I love our conversation. I'm going to invite you to come back because you truly are, you're just a spark of absolute fresh air, and uh, I want to thank, oh, thank you very you. much. All right, so you can find Thanks Kyle so at Kyle, thank you, at kylebrost.com. He is making changes in people's attitudes. He's a phenomenal strategist, and he works with many, many, many high-level companies, also great on, on LinkedIn. I can't believe my hour is over. I've got more, a whole list of questions here in so little time, but you know what? What great philosophies we learned today about staying intentional, understanding that you need to fail, fail big, fail often, but fail strategically, learn from them, don't dwell on them. And my encouragement for you to be the very best that you can be and live life unapologetically. You're listening to Forbes Riley on the Forbes Factor. We're focused on your health, wealth, and happiness. Go out and make it an amazing week. And I will see you again next week. Put a smile on your face. And when you smile, others smile back at you. As always, I love you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for making the Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We'll see you again soon.